The sermon text for today is Romans 8, 18 through 25 from the New Living Translation. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Okay, and I'm going to try something here. Salam sobeher. Did I was I close? All right. Come on, learn the language, Phil. All right. Thank you, Kara, for reading. And I'm going to set a stopwatch for your sake, everyone. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the coming of Christ and all that it signifies. Be with us now. Help us to learn more of you, to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Welcome to Advent, first Sunday. I feel very special that I get to be the first Advent speaker this, this season. Um, I, it's Hope Week, and uh, I, I, hope is a funny term. We're going to do a little vocab. Forgive the English teacher and me. We're going to do a little vocab work here at the beginning. But hope is one of those interesting terms because it can be used in a couple of ways. Um, it can be a verb, right? Like, I hope his sermon is short. That's... That's a verb form, right? Um, but it can also, you know, well, you know, be a noun in, in, in the sense of the grounding as to why you would have hope. You know, the, my kids will go off one day and be productive members of society. That's my hope, right? That's the, the, the grounding that I have, the grounding underneath for believing in something good. So it can be used both as a verb and as a noun and when we talk about Advent, of course, the first week is hope. But what's Advent mean? 
And, and of course, Advent in its most basic term just means the arrival of someone or something. But of course, in Christian, Orthodox Christian theology, it's the first or second coming of Christ. It's specifically the arrival of the Savior. And so today, we're, we, here we are, 2021, tucked somewhere neatly between the first and second coming of Christ, aren't we? So it's fitting today that we would look at hope and how it's informed by the Advent. Um, something I've been trying to do lately is really put myself in the position of what it would have been like to have been in the first century, to be in first century Roman Empire and have these events unfold. Um, if you're like me, been in church a long time, you know, I started, I joke, my joke is I started coming when I was a zygote. Um, my dad was a pastor. I went to church. All, I mean, I lived at the church practically. Grew up, went to seminary, got a degree, became a pastor myself for a number of years. It's hard sometimes for us to look at these things with fresh eyes. But imagine you're in the first century Roman Empire and you hear stories about this, uh, this kind of zany uh, rabbi, you know, this kind of crazy rabbi who's saying stuff that's pretty, pretty provocative, but also kind of cool, you know, and you're looking back through your Old Testament, looking back through the Torah, and you're looking back and saying, now, let me refresh my memory on some of this stuff. And I want you to try to take that in and think about what kind of hope is promised through the coming of Christ. What kind of hope do we have? I, today, have isolated five hopes that we have. And <clears throat> I'm going to be jumping around in, in all over Scripture, but I'm going to hopefully, if I did my slides correctly, you'll be able to sort of follow along. Um, I'm going to move pretty fast, forgive me, uh, if I talk really quickly. But there are probably other ways to slice up the hope pie, so to speak. But these are the five that I came up with, all right? So... Hope number one, God is really with us. God is really with us, and he always has been. He's always been with us. The idea here is that if you look at Scripture, you see that God has always been a presence in his creation. He says, you know, Joshua 1.9, the Lord is, your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am your God. These statements really are statements of God's power, aren't they? And they're comforting, right? feels pretty good to know that God's on your side. My, uh, when I got married to Becca, where I think she's with, smart move, she's not in here. Good, I can tell stories. All right, so my wife, Becca, let me tell you about my wife, Becca. Um, anyhow, uh, I'm the shortest person in my house. Uh, currently. Both my children, don't nod, you're welcome. Anyhow, and, and my wife's family, she's the shortest one in her family. And they go up to six, seven, six, eight is the height. And uh, <clears throat> when we got married, of course, if you know Becca, Becca's, she's, she's spunky, right? And, and I noticed one time somebody, somebody like cut us off in a parking lot you know that thing where you're waiting with your blinker on, but because of the way the person pulls out, you know, it, it enables a, a terrible human being to seal your spot. Even though you were waiting and signaling and doing all the right things. Well, this happened. Becca jumps out of the car. She's going to go talk to this person and say, hey, you just violated a social contract here. You can't do that. And I'm just going, Becca, 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 what are you doing? And she explained to me, she said, Phil, I just... I always had confidence because when I was a kid, 
you know, on the playground and stuff, my dad was bigger than everybody else's dad. And it's true. Her dad is the Jolly Green Giant. He's huge. And she said, I just always knew, I'm not scared of you, because check this out. And I said, well, honey, no one's going to do that now. No one's going to look and go, uh, she shouldn't be scared, because check that out. I said, you need to adjust your thinking. But think about this. The God of the universe says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. It's a demonstration of God's power. But we also see that God comes when he arrives. He takes all of that power, and when he arrives in the incarnation, it gets compacted into a, I don't know, seven-pound baby. Gets gets put inside a, a vulnerable frail, fragile human vessel. Can you imagine that? We know in Philippians 2, he talks about how God sort of lowered himself to take on this form. We think we're pretty hot stuff sometimes, don't we? But it, it was no picnic for God to take on the form of man, was it? But he did. And he, and he literally, literally is Emmanuel, God with us. So, on one hand, God's power is present, right? He is with us. He says, I'm with you, don't be afraid. But then he took it further and he said, I want to really be with you. I, I want to experience the same thing you experience. I want to go through all the same trials and hardships and everything, that the, the, the foibles of being human. I'm going to subject myself to that. Because I'm a God who wants to be known and to know you. That's how far I'll take it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God of the universe put himself in the form of just like you and me, which is a staggering thought. And he did it. It was a vulnerable move, wasn't it? If you go read, I teach a lot of ancient Greek stuff in my class. You know, the gods, when the gods would show up, sure, they'd take on forms, but it was, you know, how did it always end for people who ran into the gods in human form? Trouble, right? They're going to die or get turned into an armadillo or something. You know, it's just never a good thing. But when Jesus comes, when the God of heaven and earth comes and puts on skin, it's not to mess around with us or to harm us. It's to do good by us. It's to become a sacrifice for us. God's with us. And then he continues to be. Because he's not with us physically now, is he? But when he left, he said, I'm, I'm going to be with you always. Always going to be with you. And, and then one of my favorites here in Hebrews. Because of this experience, stop and think about it. Because God was able to walk around and do all the same things you and I do, experience all the same things you and I experience, he is now able to sit there at the right hand of God and intercede for us. He's a high priest who gets you. So when God looks at Phil Bryan and goes, oh, he did it again. That knucklehead. He did it again. Jesus goes, Father, I, I know it looks bad, but I get that temptation. I get the temptation he experiences. I didn't give in to it, Father, but I, I get him. How cool is that? To have a, a, a God who is sympathetic to my weakness fundamentally because he experienced all the same things 
that I've experienced. He is God with us. God is really here. Hope number one, God is really, really with us, and he always has been. Number two, God really saves us, and we really needed saving. Now, you start to go look at all the favorites. Remember these? I, I was a big vacation Bible school guy. That was my big thing. VBS, anybody? VBS people out there? Bulk of scripture I memorized was in VBS. Sorry, Dallas Seminary. I memorized more at VBS. Memorized a lot of Bible verses at VBS. And these are the ones, right? These are the big hitters. These are the ones we know. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life. Christ Jesus our Lord. Think of it. The wages of sin, the thing I deserve. Wages are what you deserve for the work you've done. Well, guess what what I deserve for the sin I've done? And then God says, no, instead of giving you that which you deserve, I'm going to instead give you a gift you cannot possibly understand. And you could never do yourself. God so loved the world. This is all motivated from the love of God. That he gave his only son that everyone who believes will not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send the son into the world to judge, but so the world might be saved. I think we sometimes forget that, don't we? This is the whole thing. God looked down, he saw what a mess it was, and he said, "Ah, I love that mess. I made that mess. I mean, I didn't make the mess, but I made all the people who make the mess. And I want to redeem it. And it desperately needs redemption, doesn't it? There's now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do do you have any of those people in your world who are condemnation specialists? You know the ones I'm talking about? They catch everything. It could be as simple as they come over to your house and they, you know, they kind of do the dust check. You know? Whatever it is. You know? They'll, They'll say something to you. Maybe they comment on your weight. You know? Little side comments. But you know what's happening is they're always looking at you askance, aren't they? They're looking at you and they're going, yes, well, you know the Bryans. How nice that with God there is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. I like free. Anybody else like free? I like being set free, man. I don't feel set free in a lot of areas of my life. But I can look at this and I can say, guess what? I've been set free. Set free. And I don't even deserve it. (laughs) That's the best part. It's not through anything I did, thank goodness. And, and, and I couldn't do anything because I was dead. What are dead people capable of doing? Nothing. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. You know, this is not God meeting me in the middle, is it? This is not God making up 
just a little deficiency I had, right? This isn't just God saying, oh, you're, you're real close. You have almost enough to pay the bill. I'll just chip in a little, you know, I'll put in an extra 10 bucks. I'll cover the tip. This is God reanimating a corpse named Phil. I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but I was made alive because of God's great love and rich mercy. And it is by grace that we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. A gift, there's that word again, gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So, number two, God saves us. We have hope because God saves us and we really needed saving. Number three, God gives us an eternal purpose. And that purpose starts now. You ever heard that phrase, life's short but eternity's long? You ever heard that one? Life's short but eternity's long. The funny thing is, eternity's, like, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what eternity is, but eternity, time is no more meaning, right? There's no end, there's no more meaning for time. time the only reason time matters to us is because we are thinking of the next thing we have to do. We're thinking of the movement of time moving towards accomplishment. I have a set number of days in my life in which to accomplish a set number of things. I have a set number of hours in the day, so I'm trying to figure out how long this guy's going to talk today. I'm I'm always on a schedule, but once you get to eternity, there's no schedule because there's no time because time doesn't matter. But the thing is, that really starts now. If we started living in an eternal perspective now, we'd realize I'm already living into my eternal state. It started the minute I was raised, right? I was dead in my trespasses, but now I've been made alive. The minute that happened, I entered my eternal state with a purpose. And that purpose is very real, and it starts now. And the thing is, God has always been about this. From the earliest time when God calls Abraham, what does he say to him? He says, I'm going to make you a blessing so that you can bless. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I want you to notice something just in particular right here. Look at all the I statements from God. What's his equation? Hint, it's all the stuff in purple. What's Abram's job? the one in green. Notice that the cursing isn't Abram's job. Who handles that? God does. We seem to have forgotten that. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I think a lot of Christians feel like God isn't working fast enough on that cursing bit. So they're jumping in saying, Lord, we'll handle this for you. Curse you, curse you, don't like that group, hate you. God says your job is to be a blessing. I'll handle who needs cursing. Why don't you leave that up to me? That's my business. After all, I made those people. I may not be done with them. You may not know what I'm doing. So why don't you just work on being a blessing? And this is where it starts with Abraham, but it goes on from there. Because you see, in the Beatitudes, he reiterates a similar idea, doesn't he? He says, you've heard people say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, I'm going to actually turn that on its head. I want you to love everybody. 
I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Therefore, you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God says, you know how I do it? When I send rain, I don't go, all right. So I'm going to drop rain on 502 South Lois Lane. That's Phil and Becca's house. But I'm going to skip 504. Because that guy's naughty. Okay? I'm going to put rain on 506 through 510, but the not 512, that guy's trouble. God says, you know what I tend to do? I tend to water everybody's yard. I tend to shine sun and make everybody's plants grow. And again, if somebody's in need of some judgment, I got that covered. That's my business, says the Lord. Your job is love your enemies. Your job is to send blessing out to the people you like and the people you don't like. doesn't matter. And in that way, you imitate me. That's, that, that's a pretty high calling, isn't it? And where does that all lead? See, here's the thing. If you are a blessing to people and you love your neighbor and you love your enemies, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be like spiritual flypaper. You're going to catch people. People will look at you and say, man, what is it about them? What is it? What in the world is going on? How can you bless someone who curses you? How can you bless someone who persecutes you? How can you love someone who doesn't like you? How do you do that? Because you see, most people don't. And as Christians, we've been called to do something very contrary to what the world does and show that love and that blessing out. And it says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to catch people. This is what he told Peter, remember? After Peter just caught all the fish and Peter freaks out on the boat and God says, this is nothing, Peter. These are fish. We're going to haul in people. We're going to draw people to him. And he says, I've given you the authority. I'm deputizing you. All authority has been given to me, and now I'm sending you. Go out. Teach people. Show them the good news. We've forgotten, right? The word evangelize, evangelism, has, has, has become so charged. But the Greek word means good news. We have good news. And it makes sense when you realize that that message is a message of hope. God is with us. God saves us. God gives us an eternal purpose. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are here to do good. We're here to do good. It's pretty simple, right? It's funny, when you're a little kid, you know, my, 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 my parents would just say, you know, be good. They didn't do a lot of explanation on that one. Because we kind of know what good means, don't we? I mean, think about the rules you tell kids. Keep your hands to yourself. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Gosh, some Christians could benefit from that old chestnut, right? If you don't have something nice to say, maybe just keep your trap shut. 
Even a fool appears wise when he remains silent. That's Proverbs right there, ladies and gentlemen. So, hope number four. God gives us meaning in our suffering and adversity. It's funny because this this question is one that I think where a lot of people, a lot of people really hit the wall. You ever, you ever played the game with God where you, you're looking for, uh, you want to get out of suffering. Something bad's happening. And have you ever played the, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to, want me to learn so you can stop game? You know the one I'm talking about? Going through some hardship and trial and you go, okay, Lord, I know you just are teaching me a lesson. And as soon as I learn that lesson, you're guaranteed to stop this, right? That's not what I mean by giving you meaning in your suffering and adversity. Sometimes that works, but I tried it a lot of times when God says, actually, Phil, you just live in a sin-cursed world. You live in a world that's marked by the curse, and, and stuff's going to happen. And it's unpleasant, and it, it breaks my heart, because I created a perfect world. I created a sinless, wonderful paradise. But I, I'm not giving up on this world, that's why. I'm going to let it keep running. I'm going to keep involving myself because I'm not willing that any should perish. Because I I want to redeem the world. Because I want to give the world hope. So there's going to be some suffering. But the good news is, is that we actually can look at something larger than the circumstance we're in. What should we say to these things? God's for us. Who's against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, here's the thing. If you were paying attention, it took a dark turn there at the end, didn't it? For your sake we're being put to death all day long. Hang on a minute. What's going on there? Do you notice that it says, it's easy, if God's for us, who can be against us? You ever heard that one used real loosely? Like, hey, hey, God's for me, who can be against me? Then somebody punches you in the face. Well, that guy apparently can be against you, I guess. The answer to that. Notice it doesn't say you're not going to have trouble. In fact, it says, will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... What? Will those things happen? Is he saying those won't happen? No. What does he say? They just won't separate you from the love of God. They won't separate you. You have something that stands in opposition to the trouble. It's not that God's saying, I'll give you a life free of trouble, but you have something. You have a hope that stands in opposition to all the troubles. But as opposed to someone else who doesn't have that hope, how much heavier is the adversity? When I, um, when I got contacted by the pastors to do one of the Advent sermons, I said, I, you know, I'd pick, pick one of them and let me know. Pick one of the first two or three, uh, just because I'm going to be grading exams later. And so they wrote back and said, why don't you do hope? And I, I started telling, like I told my family and I told some friends, you know, I'm preaching on Advent and I'm, I'm, I'm doing hope. And a number of them rather cheekily said, oh, well, that's ironic for you. 
And here's the thing. You're wrong about me. It's joy I don't have. Okay? That's the one that's ironic. I will admit I have a bit of a joy deficiency. The Lord and I are trying to work on that. Joy is my, my weak spot. Hope, I actually have a ton of. You know why? Because if I didn't, I'd have given in to the despair. If I didn't, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. If I didn't have hope, I couldn't take another step. Have you looked at the state of the human race? Have you looked at the world in which we live? And some days, all I have to look at is my own heart. If I didn't have hope, ladies and gentlemen, I wouldn't be able to do it one more day. I have hope. It is the hope of eternity. It is the hope that, that, that keeps me going. That there's more than this. Pascal's wager. I'm taking the bet. I believe there is an eternity and I believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God. And I think he promises in his love and mercy that he wants me as his child, which I don't understand and don't deserve, but I'll take it. I'll take it because it's the best thing going. In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't promise we won't have troubles. In fact, it guarantees it. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. It's that tension. We carry both, don't we? You don't just get to carry the one, do you? You're going to carry the suffering body of Jesus, but you're also going to carry the life as well. We carry both. We live in this world in this tension, don't we? Because I have the Spirit in me and I know I'm an eternal being with a destiny to be with my Father who loves me and who will make all things new again. But right now, I'm still walking around on this planet and I still feel it all. But that's okay because I do it all with hope. The hope keeps me going. Last one. Oh, everybody wakes up when you say that. All right, last one. I'm holding him to that. God gives us the hope of bodily resurrection and eternity. This is so important. Paul himself said, if we've, we've hoped in Christ only in this life, we're of all people most to be pitied. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be very clear. If all you want is a moral, ethical, behavior modification system, pick anyone you wish. Take your pick. Because somewhere, somewhere in every one of them is buried something along the lines of the golden rule, so sure, great. If all you want to be is a nice person, you can kind of pick anything you want. But you see, this isn't about that, is it? 
ideally, as a Christian, because we're supposed to be a blessing, because we're supposed to love our neighbors and our enemies, because of all those things, you ought to become a nice person, just as a side note. Okay? I'm not saying be a jerk for Jesus. But, behavior mods are not the point here. They're a byproduct. This is adoption. This is a change in identity. This is a resurrection from the dead. This is the fact that if there's an eternity, I want to be with the Father for that time. You know, last week, you know, we, we, in the last months, we've been talking about heaven. It's, anybody else find yourself going, okay, any time now, Lord? Sounds pretty good. You get why Paul said, you know, it's very much better to go be with the Lord than to be here. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Last week I heard Mike talking about uh, this this First Corinthians passage and the the you know then I will fully know I, I will know fully, you know and obviously we're not necessarily talking about having the full mind of God being omniscient <laughs> in that way. But you know what? I'll take whatever I can get because I'm kind of I'm not I'm kind of a bear of very little brain. Do you ever read Winnie the Pooh? I'll take any help I can get. I like to know stuff. I like to figure things out. And the thought that I'll be able to know whatever it is the maximum Phil Bryant's capable of knowing, that sounds pretty great to me. That sounds pretty great. And then, of course, this one I really got in touch with in my 40s. I'm in my 50th year. Somewhere around age 42, I begin to notice gravity was a cruel, cruel mistress. Hard to get out of bed in the morning. Hard to get out of chairs. Knees make funny crunching sounds. Don't know what that's about. A lot of groaning going on. But we know that our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. I realize this isn't only talking about physical maladies, but I'm feeling those. Anybody else? As we all wear our masks in a pandemic world. Be nice to live in a world with no sickness, wouldn't it? Be nice to not be physically vulnerable, but, but we also groan spiritually, don't we? Because I know the best reality I have here in this life is nothing compared to what I'm going to have when I'm finally home. The promise of eternity is our ultimate hope. It's that, it's that beautiful, beautiful picture awaiting us. It's, it's, it's the destination we're headed towards. All the other hopes we can experience now, this one is the one that we're really waiting on, isn't it? This is the one we keep Waiting and waiting and waiting on. But it's coming, everybody. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. How many things have you got that are imperishable, undefiled, and won't fade away? I replaced um, something in my spice cabinet the other day, and uh, it was it was crushed red pepper. And I bought a new one, 
and there was a little bit left at the bottom of the old one. And I don't know how long I had it on the shelf. I, you know, it was, it's, it's crushed red pepper. It's in the spice rack. You know, those things could be from 1982. I don't know. I used to find stuff that said Safeway on it. We haven't had a Safeway in North Texas. Anyhow. Get my crushed red pepper out, and I'm putting the new one up, and I notice just through the jar, the new one is vibrant red. It's crushed red peppers. It's vibrant red. I looked at the old one. The old one just looked like brown shoe leather. I've been sprinkling that on my pizza. And I thought, I mean, I kept the lid on and everything. It's just time, guys. You got anything in your life that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away? You got one thing. Your inheritance with the Father. Your inheritance with the Father doesn't go anywhere. It's fixed. It's an anchor in your life. You know it's coming. It's a guarantee. Nothing can take it. And then the last piece, Kara read so beautifully. I won't go over it again. But the idea is that whatever we suffer now doesn't compare to what's coming. Number one, have hope because God is really with you. Really, really with you. He's with you in his power. He's with you in understanding and empathy. And he's with you forever. Number two, have hope because God really does save us. It's the good news. We have a sin problem. The good news is God has a remedy. And it's not through hard work or doing something a certain number of times or making sure you go to this place or making sure you don't do that or don't eat this or... God says, I got it covered. It's all about my mercy. Number three, God gives us an eternal purpose. You want to have meaning? You want to have something to do? Great, I got a job for you. Go bless people. Go love people. Make people go, what is wrong with her? She's, she's nice to everybody. What's something weird about that guy? He is so nice to everyone. Even that guy in HR who's mean to him. He's nice to him, too. Draw people to the Lord through what we were originally designed to do. Good works prepared beforehand to walk in. Go be a blessing. Go love. Go do good. People will flock to know the God behind that. Number four, God gives meaning to our suffering. Have hope. Because your suffering isn't absurd. It isn't meaningless. This isn't, this isn't a nihilism or chaos theory. This is the byproduct of living in a world with sin. But we know something else is coming. Which leads us to number five. Have hope because you have the promise of eternity and bodily resurrection. You will one day be made perfect and be made that way with the Father. Nothing else compares. So, have a little hope this Advent season because of the coming of Christ and because of the promise of his second coming. May it be soon. Let's pray. Father, 
we ask that you would give us hope. Remind us that we have hope. We have reason for hope. This is not, this is not a hope that we're just rolling the dice on. This is hope that stems from the reality of the, the triune God. That, that the God of the universe, Advent, stepped into time and space in a physical way so that we might know him more and more and more. And that he might save us and give us the promise of future things. Father, we thank you so much that our hope is grounded in something good and true. And I ask that we would be people who extend that hope around us. People that we encounter every day. Let us be marked by hope. Father, especially in this season, as frantic and chaotic as it will inevitably get, let us be rays of hope to the world. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.